Hello, everybody. Welcome. Good to see you this morning. So when I give you guys a compliment, it would be, okay, you know, so you could, does anyone have anything nice they want to say about me? Anyway, I'm just kidding. It is really good to see you. Welcome. Thanks for being here with us. Welcome to LifeBridge. My name is John, and I am on staff here. If you have any questions about church, um, you can certainly, you can certainly uh, chat with me. There's also cards in the back of your seats. You can fill one of those out as well if you want to go that route. You can check out My Life Bridge. My Life Bridge is a great place to just stay up to date. So if you attend regularly and you just kind of want to stay in the loop of what's going on, My Life Bridge is a great place to do that. And you can go to mylifebridge.church to, um, to, to get that. You can download it on your phone, all that sort of stuff. So you can just kind of keep that as a consistent spot. But our, our devotional is there, our online giving, uh, our upcoming events, all that stuff is at My Life Bridge. So go ahead and check that out. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for supporting our mission with your tithes and offerings. We want to say thank you if you, um, if you support us um, consistently and regularly. It's so important to what we do. If you call this your home church, we ask that you give. And it's, it's very easy to do online. You can also use Venmo. There's giving boxes at both ends of the hallway. And I would also say that if you have any questions about our finances, um, we, we, we have no secrets. Most people, it's boring for them. But it's, it's certainly not secret, so you can reach out and ask questions about those things as well. Okay, we're doing something a little different today. Um, one of our big focuses this year is belonging together. And the idea behind belonging together is that, is that we can build in a church community and in a church family, you can build a strong sense of belonging together outside of, um, outside of church programs, church calendar and church structures. One of the things we've learned over the course of, of the last few years in our church is that most of the best things that have happened, most of the best discipleship, most of the best growth has happened outside of the things that we as a church have planned and put on the calendar. So one of the things we're doing this year is we're putting less things on the calendar and we are, we are trusting that the culture of belonging is, is going to continue to grow and that people are going to help each other, people are going to grow together, and it's going to happen in ways that are not quite as scripted and planned. And in that same, uh, in that same heart, we're going to be doing in church um, what we're calling gratitude moments. And a gratitude moment is really simple. It's a chance for anybody to say something that's happened that wasn't maybe not on a Sunday morning, wasn't part of a church program necessarily, but just something that has happened that they are thankful for in relationship to church. Because one of the things we want to do is, is do a better job of celebrating all the good things that are happening throughout the week, throughout uh, just over time. And so right now, I'm actually going to give you an opportunity. If you have something that you want to you wanna say, hey, just a quick, I'm thankful for this um, sort, of, sort of thing, this is an opportunity to, to do that. If, you, if no one wants to be brave and go first, that's totally okay. But if nobody goes first, then you guys have to just listen to the pastor's talk. And we do that every other week. So I thought it might be a, a nice chance for some of you guys to, to share for just a minute. So specifically, just a moment of gratitude, gratitude connected to this idea of belonging to a church family. So with that, I'm going to give you guys a chance. If anyone wants to put up their hands and go first, and if nobody does, it's totally okay. We got one. We have a maximum of three, so put your hand up fast if you want to go. Uh, so my wife and I are having a postponed wedding, and the reception's coming up quick. We found out a month out that our officiant was decided that he just wasn't going to be there. Um, 
after planning to be there, so that was stressful. But then we texted John, and he was like, oh, yeah, when's the date? Yep, yeah, I'm coming. Don't even worry about it. So it was cool. It was nice to be able to reach out to our uh, newer church family and be loved like that. When I RSVP'd, I also gave a dietary restriction. Do you want to share what that was? Uh, He very clearly stated that he can no longer consume paperclips. Doctor said no more. Doctor said no more. That's a joke, you guys. All right, do we have another one? Anybody? If not, that's okay. We can just do one for today. Just And if you're walking in, it's just it's a simple reflection of gratitude of something uh, that had to do with belonging to church. If we don't have another one, that's... You got one? Yeah. Hi. Um, we're newer. Uh, we just moved to the area pretty recently. And um, in our previous home church, uh, we our family was going through a really tumultuous time and um, someone kind of came alongside me and swooped me into kids ministry and serving fills us in a way that other things just don't. Um, and it really just flipped our life on its head in a, the most positive way it could to be plugged back into church, um, back into small group, back into church community and made the difference of everything. It's wonderful. Thank you. One more. We have time for one more. If anybody wants to be brave and be our third one. Yes. I knew Kenny would do it. Um, I just want to say, like, Carly and I, we're not super new to LifeBridge, but uh, when we first started coming here, we are just super grateful that it was so easy to get in touch with the church community. Um, John married us. We joined another circle group. It was just very welcoming and super grateful to just have that close-knit, authentic experience with people. That's great. Thanks, guys. Pastor John can go on up, um, so give him a welcome. But we'll do this again in a few weeks. You'll have another shot to... Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's, thanks for sharing. It's so, um, there's so many things that happen throughout the week that um, we tend to hear about more often, but uh, the church doesn't always hear about. So it's really good for you guys to hear all of the ministry that um, y'all, <laughs> y'all are doing <laughs> throughout the week. English needs a second person plural pronoun, doesn't it? Um, that's a nerdy grammar thing. Anyways. Yeah, so um, it's so good to just hear that stuff. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon for today. Father, Lord, we just praise your name. Be glorified, be honored, Lord, in our hearts, disposition towards you. Lord, as we seek to humble ourselves and worship you, um, Lord, just be glorified. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Convict where it's needed. Encourage where it's needed. And Lord, draw us into closer communion with Christ, we ask today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Our new campaign that we started last week is called uh, Reconstruct. And the idea of this whole campaign is to reconstruct our faith around uh, the pure uh, gospel of Jesus. Because what happens for all of us, and again, no one is immune from this, uh, me included, everybody, is is guilty of this. Certain aspects of the culture kind of seep into our Christianity. And when we were constructing our faith and developing a faith in our family of origin, in our Western culture, if you were raised here in Burlington, that added to it. Like all of those things have caused us to to take some cultural ideas and kind of 
intertwine them with our Christian ideas and our Christian faith. So the idea of this campaign is to deconstruct some of those things and then to reconstruct our faith around Christ. Because uh, the goal, as we talked about last week, is for us to have a more pure uh, image of Christ to worship. Because he is worth it. As Paul said in, in the text last week, he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And we went through all of the things that he meant when he said everything as loss. So that's our prayer, to count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, our Lord, and untangle our faith from cultural Christianity to have a more pure picture of Jesus, whom we worship. So today, uh, I titled it this, Proposition for Person. Um, ah, it's alliterated, but it's not my favorite title. It, it, <laughs> but let me kind of give you a couple of different titles that get at the idea of what we're going for. Uh, with this one, the idea is we all like these like neat, clean theological statements, right? Things that we can say are true and hold to. And, but sometimes uh, the true theology, the truth about God and the truth of who God is, is it can be kind of muddy sometimes. So, uh, Instead of just these like neat, clean propositional statements that can lead us to be kind of uh, smug and arrogant and fundamentalist on one way or another, uh, we want to just pursue Jesus and pursue knowing him and knowing God. Some of the other titles I was going for were Arrogance for Humility, uh, because when we solely live in a propositional state, it was like simple uh, black and white truths. We can be very arrogant with that truth. We tend to be. Uh, but the Christian faith calls us to be humble like Jesus. The other one is my personal favorite, um, is smug certainty for humble truth finding. <laughs> okay. It's really wordy. It's a terrible title, but that says what I'm getting at, right? Um, so often when we have the truth, as like I said, the Christian faith should humble us, but so often uh, this phenomenon happens where we have the truth and it makes us arrogant because we have the truth. Right. So what we need to do, and this is more cultural than it is Christian, and I don't, I don't think I need to say a lot to convince you that it's cultural. Look at our political climate today. It's very polarized. One of the signs and symptoms of this, of smug certainty and, and not honest, humble truth-seeking, is a very us-versus-them polarized view where you have the truth, everybody else is wrong, and you're not even willing to reconsider, or to think through, or to process, and to help others even come to the truth. It's not out of love for them that you're dialoguing and conversing. It's out of a desire to own them and beat them down with the truth. We weaponize the truth so much. If you listen to any political commentary today, that's likely what you're hearing. So it's that ideology and that way of handling the truth that has seeped into our Christian faith. And social media is the best example for this. Um, I don't think I need to <laughs> really say much more. If you go on your favorite pastor or favorite uh, Christian commentator, whatever, go on their Twitter account and just go to their recent post and start, start throwing, scrolling through the comment section, you will see a lot of smug certainty and arrogance, guaranteed, okay? Uh, one of my favorite examples that I came across last week is uh, this. 
Benjamin Watson, he's a, he's a Christian, he's a former football player. He posted this, it's a joke, it's funny. I 100% support mandatory vacations for everyone. If anyone refuses, then they should be forced. Everybody read that and thought he said vaccinations, of course, right? So that red line isn't there. I put that red line on there. So I read it my, when Savannah, my wife, showed me that. I read vaccinations too, and I was like, whoa, Benjamin, that's a little, <laughs> a little heavy there, bud. Um, <laughs> but so it's funny. It's a joke. Lots of people didn't get it, didn't like it, and their smug certainty and arrogance really was on full display. This guy, I blacked out his name in case it was John's burner account. Um, <laughs> Uh, he, says, he said, I 100% disagree. I, I'm sorry, I tried to blow it up as much as I could if you can't see it. It's a vision check. You're a lost soul in need of a relationship with Jesus. Whoa, that escalated quickly. And this was his first comment on there, right? So like, okay, just notice what's happening here. This guy is taking Benjamin Watson's position on vaccinations and governance and political authority and all of that. And he's saying, that is all the evidence I need to know that you are not a genuine follower of Jesus. It's a bold assertion and a big assumption. This guy is so certain in his view of whether it's governance or vaccinations or whatever, that it has seeped into his theology and his Christian walk to say, this guy is not a Christian then. Whoa, <laughs> it's quite the leap. And then his next comment was, you guys got me. <laughs> no, dude, you deserve, he, you owe him an apology. Like, note your assumption. You just said he's not a Christian because even if he was saying vaccines, like, you owe him an apology. What on earth? But we never like to admit that we're wrong, right? Especially on social media. It's almost, it just rarely, if ever, happens. A more simple, comical, not as intense example of this was from my daughter Ellie on Friday. Friday morning, she was getting ready uh, to go to school, and she came into our room. My wife and I, Savannah, were in there. She just puts her hands on her hips. She gets this, like, smug little arrogant look on her face. I love her, but, man, she's real, real sassy sometimes. And she goes, who stole my super soft rainbow scrunchie? <laughs> and she proceeded to accuse my wife, Savannah, of stealing her super soft rainbow scrunchie. Moments later, she walks out into the living room, finds it lying there on the floor, of course, right? But instead of admitting, like, I'm sorry, Mom, I shouldn't have accused you of stealing my scrunchie and Dad, which why would I have a scrunchie? Whatever. Um, <laughs> she goes, <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> and she's so articulate. She's brilliant. She, she starts, like, describing to Savannah. She's like, I'm launching an investigation to find how you stole my scrunchie and placed it on the floor. <laughs> Instead of admitting that she was wrong, right, which nobody likes to admit that you're wrong, she was just joking. She was totally kidding at that point. She knew she was wrong and she blew it. But anyways, some of the signs and symptoms that we are doing this uh, is first and foremost our simple pride and arrogance. 
Um, it's not super helpful, though, because we're all prideful, and we very rarely, if ever, see our own pride and arrogance unless something happens that kind of brings that to our attention or somebody tells us, uh, often your spouse. Um, <laughs> the other one is defensiveness. There's another one. If you find yourself constantly trying to defend yourself and not being able to hear any criticism, us versus them mentality that I've already mentioned, especially against those who disagree with your position, and finally, lack of compassion for those who disagree with you. So if you find yourself over the last couple of years having a lack of compassion for those who disagree with you over politics and over COVID, this message is for you, okay? This message isn't for them, it's also for them, it's for you. So before you take the truth and weaponize it against them, let it settle in your own heart and convict you first. So the text we're going to be in for today is John chapter 9. This whole chapter documents this story of Jesus and this beautiful interaction and conversation with this man who was born blind. And as we go through it, I think you'll see this tease out. The, the smug certainty on the part of the Pharisees and the humble truth-seeking on the part of the blind man. And as I've been prepping to preach this um, and praying through this and thinking through it myself, the, the scary thing about this text is with my personality and my, um, with my theological training, I see myself much more in the Pharisees here than I do any other character in this story. So give yourself an honest assessment as you walk through this and see which character do I tend to represent more. The blind man is the uh, character who we are supposed to look up to and pattern our life after. But I think more often than not, we tend to look like the Pharisees. At least I do. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the disciples, they think they're asking a question. Because in their view, uh, their, their, their view is very simple on suffering and why suffering happens. And it's the common view of the day in the first century, and it's often, I often come across it today as well, still, surprisingly, that for this man to have this disability, either he sinned or his parents sinned. And so the effects of that sin are being passed down onto him. That's the commonly accepted theology of the day. Now, his case presented a unique challenge to their theology because he was born blind. So their thought process is he either sinned in utero, don't know how, <laughs> but maybe, and that, this is why this happened to him, or again, his parents sinned, and that's why he was born blind, or likely his mother sinned while she was pregnant. So that's their question. They think they're being smart. It's their preconceived theological notion, and so they ask Jesus, and Jesus says neither. <laughs> Jesus doesn't give like a full, robust answer on suffering and the existence of evil and why bad things happen to good people. It's a big question. We're not answering that question today. Instead, we're looking at their assumptions and how they handle the truth. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So you guys are wrong. The theological assumption of the day, wrong, wrong. But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light 
of the world. So what we see here is Jesus constantly moving from this, like, give us a clean propositional statement, Jesus, for what happened to this guy and why he's blind. And Jesus moves to uh, me. <laughs> I'm the light of the world, he says. So while I'm here, we're going to do God's work. So he moves from these clean, definitive theological statements to uh, just know me, is what Jesus is saying. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Ew, right? Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Okay, so we're not really diving into why he spit and all that stuff today, but Jesus heals him, and we're going we're gonna, to, don't really have time to just go through the whole thing, so we'll go through it all in the devotional. But what happens is the neighbors, they don't know if this guy is really the guy who was born blind, so they question him, and he, he insists that he is the same man. And then going on, his neighbors, they bring him to the Pharisees, the man who, they bring to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, that's another theological assumption that the Pharisees had. They believed that you couldn't heal, so like any medical procedure, you couldn't do any sort of healing unless the person's life was in imminent danger. So if you were about to die, they could heal you on the Sabbath and treatment, treat you. If not, wait till Sunday. Like wait till the next day and then come and get treatment. So now that theological assumption is in play here as well. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So he just, this man just recounts what Jesus does. He recounts what happened like three times, which again is a paradigm that we should be seeing. John wants us to see this. Just simply recount your encounter with Jesus. Recount the evidence of what happened when you met Jesus. Just stick to that and let that inform what you find to be true. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. <laughs> so simple. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So this group, they've formed their opinion already and they said he can't be from God because he doesn't follow our preconceived theological notion about how we ought to keep the Sabbath. Okay. So this isn't spelled out specifically in the law of Moses. These are rules that they added to the law of Moses to make sure that they were not breaking the Sabbath law. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? Good question. Keep going. So this group of Pharisees who are asking this question, now they kind of, they're close. They kind of fade from view for the rest of the story. And it's just the first group of Pharisees who don't think Jesus is from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. They're the ones who continue on in the story. So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. At this point, that's all the man can know. I was blind, I see, he spit in the mud, he must be a prophet, okay? So, then they bring the man's parents in, the Pharisees are like, this can't be the, this can't be the guy. So they bring his parents in to be like, hey, is this, is this your son? Was he born blind? They confirm those things. They ask the parents, like, how, how was he, uh, how were his eyes open? They say, we don't know, ask him, because they're afraid the Pharisees are going to kick them out of the synagogue, which they had done to anybody who claims to follow Jesus. So, moving on. Second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. Okay, so 
Note how John is writing this. These guys are so convinced that their view of this situation is true. They are not willing to even explore another explanation or possibility for what happened. Smug arrogance right here on the part of these guys. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. No, we know this man is a sinner. So we've come to the conclusion. We know. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. So again, this guy just recounts his story. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. It just keeps coming back to that. All I can say is what I experienced and what I encountered. So they go back and forth a little bit more and it heats up and then it ends this way. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Back to their initial preconceived theological notion. You had sinned in utero or your mother sinned. In some way, sin has caused your life to go the way it did for your disability. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Band, you guys can come and get set up. So they throw him out. Notice the different reaction. They kick him out of the synagogue. It's not just like, get out of here. It's you're out of the synagogue. You're out of the church. You're out of communion with us and your people. You can no longer come back. You're excommunicated. Jesus, he heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus goes and finds him. So they throw him out. Jesus goes and finds him. He said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Again, the guy was blind when Jesus healed him before, so he's never seen him. <laughs> he doesn't know what he looks like. And then Jesus was gone after he went to Salome to wash, and then he came back, and Jesus is gone. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Notice the difference of this man's posture to that of the Pharisees. Humble truth-seeking. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Even in this statement, John is pointing us to a very, very important truth. It's not only about having true thoughts about God that brings us into right relationship with him. Even the demons believe that Jesus is the son of God, but they don't worship him. So this man, he now has true thoughts about who Jesus is, that he is the son of man, that he is the Messiah, and he responds. It changes his life and his reaction to God by worship. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. That is, those who think they can see the truth, like the Pharisees, they have become blind because of their arrogance. Whereas the blind man who now sees Jesus and humbly was seeking truth, he sees. He sees the truth of Jesus. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. On this text, D.A. Carson, who's one of the most brilliant New Testament scholars today, he writes, John is again stressing the point that a certain poverty of spirit and abasement of personal pride, especially over one's religious opinions and a candid acknowledgement of spiritual blindness are indispensable characteristics of the person who receives spiritual sight true revelation at the hands of Jesus. 
certain poverty of spirit, an abasement of personal pride, and a candid acknowledgement of spiritual blindness. So our big idea today is that we, the more we humbly seek truth, the more clearly we see Jesus. As we talked about last week, again, consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. So even the former things that we thought were true, we can consider as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And when we humbly seek the truth in Jesus, our picture of him becomes more clear and we fall in love and worship him even more because we know him more and that is the goal, knowing Jesus. We have prayer available in the back while we're singing, but let's stand and sing praises to our Savior together now.
tremble before your throne Our hearts prepare your room We come and adore Ruin before your glory Great is the Lord Most worthy All praise Great is the Lord
Yes, Lord, you are holy. You are worthy of our praise and glory and honor. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to pursue your truth with humility, to clarify our vision of you, to worship you, to praise you. In truth. So, Lord, we worship you. In your name that we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat for a few minutes. Remember, our big idea is the more we humbly seek and hold truth, the more clearly we can see Jesus. Conversely, our smug certainty and our arrogance, it clouds our picture of Jesus. So our, our goal is to see Jesus more clearly. And if that means admitting that we were wrong about something, great. <laughs> I have Jesus, and I can see Jesus more clearly and worship him more for who he is. We can even rejoice when we admit that we were wrong. Now, again, this is, don't hear me saying that truth is not important. Truth is vitally important. We, we're talking here about how we seek it with humility and how we hold it, again, with humility. Truth is super important. If you're believing that God is some dictator or just solely a moral enforcer in the sky and that truth, you need, you need to change that so that you can worship God as your heavenly father, who he truly is, and see him more clearly. So truth is vitally important, but how we hold it is also important. Again, it's okay to be wrong. Everybody's wrong about some stuff. <laughs> what humbles me is the knowledge, just the objectively true statement that right now there are things that I believe about God that are not true. Right now. I just don't know it. I can't see it yet. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, in our thoughts of God, we often love our ideas of God more than God himself. Again, in our thoughts of God, our ideas of God more than God himself. If God and knowing him truly as he is, is the goal. Being in Christ, then we can count it joy <laughs> when we get to know him for who he truly is. And as that story of the blind man meeting Jesus, as he was constantly recounting throughout the story, like, I, I, have, I don't have definitive statements of who Jesus is. I think he's a prophet. He just keeps recounting his story. I was blind, but now I see. That's what I know. When you have encountered Jesus, when you know Christ, like Paul was trying to get at last week in all of his language of knowing Christ and being found in him. And when you have encountered Jesus, again, we can consider everything as loss compared to knowing him, even the things that we were wrong about. You can change my mind about theologies, about creation theology, about end times theology. You can change my mind. Calvinism, Arminianism, you can change my mind about all of that stuff. We can talk about that. 
but you can never change my mind on the encounters that I've had with Christ. When I fully surrendered my life to Jesus, how I experienced his presence in that moment, words can't describe it. Theology can't describe it. (laughs) All I know is right there, I experienced Jesus and I knew him. The moments in my life where I came to the end of my rope and I don't know what else to do and I felt God's presence and in my weakness found his strength. You you cannot debate me on those. (laughs) And so like this blind man who experienced Christ and saw him, those are what we must lean on to know Jesus. And that relational sense of knowing him and then allow our theology and our truth that we find in Scripture to clarify our picture of him so that we can love him more. There's another story in the Bible about this that I'm just going to mention briefly because it's very long, but it's the Old Testament book of Job where it's dealing with the same issue that the disciples brought up when they met this man born blind. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a big question that we're not answering, so I'm sorry to bring it up, but... Job had a lot of bad things happen in his life. And a lot of his friends were saying, you must have sinned. There must have been something wrong that you did that caused this. And Job's like, I didn't, I don't know. But throughout the story, he's, he's questioning God's justice. And Job keeps questioning God's justice, as do his friends. And at the end of the story, God speaks. <laughs> and when God speaks, it is so profound Man, the ancient Hebrews were brilliant. They're smarter than we are, I think, in a lot of ways. Because this text is just so profound. When God speaks, he doesn't give Job a clear propositional statements about why suffering exists and why bad things happen to good people. He just goes through this long list of, hey, Job, like, look at who I am. <laughs> Do you know me? Like, Job, you're questioning me? And they're like, who do you think you are, Job, in light of me? Is the running theme through the end of this book. Where God says, Job, were you there when I created the world? Like, do you draw, did you draw the boundaries of the sea? Like the ocean. Like, do you know the depths of the ocean, Job? Do you, it, would you question me to justify yourself? God asked him. It's a good question. It's a very good question. So God just says, Job. <laughs> Stop looking at all those issues. There are mysteries here that are beyond your comprehension. But look to God. Look at God. And he's enough. Knowing him is enough. You don't have to have all of your questions answered in neat propositional statements and truth claims that you can put in boxes. Just know him. And at the end of the story, Job sums it up. Job is actually applauded for how he questions and goes through all this. Like God basically says it's okay how you approached it. But at the end, Job says this, my eyes had heard of you, but now my, or my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears had heard of you. I had all this theology, all of these propositional statements, all of these truth claims that I had known about you or I thought I knew about you pales in comparison when my eyes have seen. I'm willing to change my mind and admit the mysteries of this world and creation when I see you.
It's the same thing with the blind man. Doesn't have to have all of his questions answered. He saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he confessed his identity and he worshiped. Job ends this, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He repented for questioning God's justice. This is a sign of humble truth-seeking, repentance. It is to be a regular Christian practice, repentance. And I think if we as followers of Jesus were practicing this more and repenting of the lies that we had believed, the things that we got wrong, the ways that we are living and behaving and acting that are just straight up wrong, we made a regular routine of repentance, we'd be much more humble in how we handle the truth. And so I could go through a long list of like, here's good ways to humbly seek truth, like ask good questions and say things like, I might be wrong about this. Those are good, those are really helpful. But I think the heart of the issue is repentance. That if we repent before God and we make that a habit and a routine, we'll be much better at recognizing when we are wrong. We will hold the truth with humility and love and grace. So let's practice repentance right now. I invite you to bow your hand, head and just pray with me for a moment to yourself. Just start by repenting generally of your pride and your arrogance. Even that which you, of which you are unaware. Repent of your desire to use the truth as a weapon instead of first turning it inward to lead you to repentance. next, repent of what lies beneath your combative tone, your pride, your arrogance, your defensiveness. Is it, is it just fear of losing face? Perhaps you've said things so sternly and so definitively and confidently that you've dug yourself a hole and feel like you can't go back on it now, even though you know it's wrong. Or is it just a desire to belittle and diminish the others, to own the other side? Repent of whatever lies underneath that. Finally, repent of your lack of compassion for those that you disagree with. Perhaps it's those of an opposing political or health persuasion, those of a different theological persuasion. Repent of your lack of compassion towards them.
Next, we're going to go into a time of communion. In communion, we remember the body of Christ that was broken for us. We remember his blood that was shed for us. We remember that it wasn't our right thinking only <laughs> that saves us. Remember, it wasn't our right living and right behavior that saves us, but it is the blood and body of Christ. It is his work on the cross, and it is only through trust and faith in him and worship of him that we are saved. And I would invite you in these moments as we're holding the communion elements before we partake together to, to reflect on the moments when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Remember the first words of John the Baptist and the first sermon that Jesus gave was repent, repent. And so when we come to Jesus and believe in Jesus, and I'm sure as you remember that first time when you put your faith in Jesus, <laughs> you were repenting. You were saying the, the things that I used to think about Jesus were wrong. He's more, he's bigger, he's better than anything that I ever knew. My picture of him was incomplete or wrong. You're confessing that the way I lived my life and me being Lord of my own life is not the way to live. It's not the right way to go. Jesus is, and I'm going to follow him in his way, and what he says is true. So I want to follow that. And in that moment, it wasn't, if your experience was like mine, it wasn't guilt and shame and this feeling of loss that you had lost something. In that moment, what you remember and what you note is, I have Jesus now. <laughs> So it's not what you have given up and the truth that you are abandoning to cling to the greater truth. It's not shame, it's not fear, it's not loss that you're concerned with, it's the joy of Jesus and having him. Reflect on that, return to your first love and remember what it's like to repent and the joy that it is to admit that you were wrong to have Jesus. Let's let communion be a reminder of that. The elements are in the back. I invite you to follow me. Let's start with the front rows, the front rows. Follow me back and grab communion elements and hold them and we'll pray with them and partake of them together.
sin in your flesh and dying on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, for revealing the truth of God to us through your incarnate being. That, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. So as we partake, Lord, remember that you didn't exempt yourself even from suffering, that you died for us our sin might be done away with and we might walk free. Let's partake of the bread together. Let's partake of the cup. Or, excuse me, let's pray for the cup. Lord, Jesus, Lord, the cup that we hold in our hands represents your blood blood that was shed for us, your blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that, Lord, it's not our right thinking, it's not our right behavior that makes us right before you, God, but it is your blood. It is in trusting in you. It is in knowing you, Jesus, establishing a relationship with you, that our sin is removed and we are made right before God. So, Lord, as we partake of this, we confess in our constant desires to pursue our own self-righteousness apart from you. And we place all of our hope and trust in you for our salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's partake of the cup. Now, would you guys stand and sing with us one more song? And while we're singing, if you need prayer, Michael and Kathleen are in the back, and they would love to pray with you.
despite our brokenness and what we don't know. Because of you, we can see. Thank you, Jesus. One more time of praise. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life Thank you, Jesus. God, you know what we don't know. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to follow in you, to trust in that, to trust in the abundant life that you promise that comes through you. And to have the humility to recognize that, that when that's not what we believe, when that's not what we're doing, that we would repent 
we would correct, we would follow you, Jesus. Because it's worth it. Your way is worth it. Where else would we go, God? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's still prayer in the back, if you'd like. Hope you guys have a wonderful Sunday. God bless.